John chapter number 2. I'm not really quite sure exactly uh, what I'm doing tonight. That's kind of a scary introduction, isn't it? If I don't know what I'm doing, you're probably wondering, what am I doing here? You know, I had really I'd made plans. The, the message tonight was going to be a message entitled, What God Does at Night. What God Does at Night. And uh, anyway, I, I've, just, uh, I've just decided I'm going to do something different. Uh, not sure exactly what, but it'll, it'll be a bit different. You know, it seems like in every message there's always more to be said than what you have time to say. And I've been preaching long enough to know, like the old-timer said many years ago, that the mind can uh, absorb only what the seed of the riches can endure. So, you know, people don't want to sit there for hours on end regardless of, you know, of what you say and how many different ways you say it. that finally reaches a point whenever you you know you've said enough and you need to leave it at that. So uh, there were several things this morning I wanted to incorporate into the message and uh, didn't feel like I had time to do that. And so I I want to go back to chapter number two. And this morning I sort of had an idea that this might happen, and that's why I mentioned that probably I'll be bringing a message on chapter 2 uh, before long, and uh, this is sooner than I thought. Uh, but uh, chapter number 2, verse number 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many <laughs> believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I want you to think tonight about bogus believers. I remember several years ago, I guess, at least two or three or four, I, I don't know, I preached a message about authentic Christianity. And, you, you know, if we don't have any idea what the real thing looks like, we're not going to know whether we've got the real thing or not. And so uh, I, there's good reason why. And it might have been shocking to some folks this morning when I mentioned what Billy Graham and other preachers had said about their belief of the large number of church members that have never truly been born again. But the fact of the matter is there, there's good reason for them to draw that conclusion. When, when you look at the, you know, the attitude and the behavior of people in general, and, and, and I realize that we cannot always, you know, accurately judge one another. God knows, and if you're saved, you know whether you are or not, but uh, we can make a big mistake of trying to judge whether so-and-so saved or not. You know, the Bible speaks about righteous Lot. Lot was a righteous man in the sense that here's a man that was trusting in, in the Lord. He had no righteousness of his own, just like we don't. And he's a man didn't have very good record, really, whenever you look at it. 
And, uh, and yet, and yet, and yet the Bible speaks of him as righteous lot. So, you know, had you been judging him in that day, it might have been that you would concur with others that, you know, that, that he wasn't really one of God's people. So don't make the mistake of trying to judge people. But we do know, based on what the Bible teaches, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. We do know there is a transformation of character in a person's life whenever he is saved. And whenever you look across the board at Christendom in general, and you see as the surveys prove, and, and, and this has been done by numerous different people, take their survey, asking certain key questions, and uh, the, the professing Christians answer almost exactly like the average person out there on the street that makes no profession of faith. In other words, there's just almost zero difference, just a small percentage point of difference between professing Christians and those that make no profession at all. So something's terribly wrong. I think we all need to realize that that, that is a fact. Something's wrong when it's that way. Well, a good part of the problem has to do with what I believe is what we're going to see here in just a little bit and what we just read. First of all, we need to understand the aim of John, the gospel of John and the purpose of it. And if you'll just flip over to chapter number 20 for just a moment, we see that he lets us know exactly the reason for his writing. And by the way, if you... You, you look on over toward the end of the of of his gospel, you'll see that there were many many miracles that Jesus did that were never recorded. I mean, he said the whole world couldn't contain all of the things that could have been recorded. But I want you to notice in verse number thirty of chapter twenty, it says, "And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book." But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So he's giving us the purpose for his writing. And John, depending on which way you count it, John records seven miracles. And those miracles were not for the sake of entertainment, as uh, I have a sermon series, in fact, on those miracles, and I call it Miracles with a Message. Every miracle had a message. The problem is, a lot of folks didn't get the message. They, they saw the miracle, they were excited by the miracle, they wanted to go on to the next miracle, and, you know, they were, you know, it was a thrilling thing to them, but they didn't really get the message. That is the spiritual the spiritual ramifications of what they had just witnessed. And, uh, and a lot of people can, you know, be in church all of their life, hear thousands of sermons, read their Bible daily, and still not really get the message. Here's part of the problem. A lot of times, in fact, quite often, we speak about receiving Christ. And that's crucial, by the way. The Bible speaks about as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. We need to receive Christ. But understand this. There can be no salvation unless he receives us. That's what saves you. It's not, 
It's not you receiving him. It's him receiving you that saves you. Well, what then? what's the basis for him accepting us? Ephesians 1 and verse number 6 says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. That is, God the Father has made us accepted in the person of Christ. It's the only reason that God would accept me or you is because of Christ. There's no other reason. You know, I can say, but I worked my fingers to the bone. I taught Sunday school for 30 years. I did this and I did that. Look, none of, the, none of that matters unless, first of all, we have been accepted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, you know, that there is but one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. He is the only way. And so the only way that I can be accepted with God, the only way God will receive me is by virtue of the work that Jesus has done. Now, although, and you'll remember, and I oftentimes refer to it, that Jesus said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That's true. But he's talking about those who come to him in faith. Those who come to him trusting him. And the fact is, he doesn't receive everyone who claims to have received him. Let that sink in now. He does not receive everybody that claims they have received him. Notice again what we just read. And let's read verse 23 again. Notice, many believed in His name. Wow, boy, wow, great. When they saw the miracles. So they saw the miracles, they saw the demonstration of His power. Many believed in His name. Chalk it up, the church just grew, you know. Got all of these people saved now. But, but Jesus did not commit Himself unto them. These people were not accepted of God. They were not saved. Notice, because He knew all men, and He needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. They believed in the sense that they were impressed by the miracles. They believed in the sense that they acknowledged that this must be the one that the Old Testament prophets said was coming. They believed in the sense that they acknowledged that. But as I said this morning, believing that, that is believing in the sense of acknowledging that as a fact is one thing, accepting that as a truth in the sense that you have confidence in it and you're trusting God to do what He said that He would do is another thing. And the Lord knew their heart. You see, He, he knows about us. He knows whether we have actually received Him or not. If I had time, I could go to John chapter number 6 and we could talk there a good while about those who profess to be His, his disciples. We could look on beyond that in John chapter number 8 and we can see that this same, this same sort of uh, terminology is used speaking about, talking about those that believed on Him and yet you read on and it says, and they took up stones to stone Him. Same people. Exactly the same people. So the Lord knows what is in a person's heart, whether or not they've actually received Him. And for us to just, you know, go on... Bev and I were talking this afternoon, and she used to, she used to sing a song, 
Uh, oh, how well I remember when I doubted day by day. Is that kind of the way it goes? Uh, oh, how well I remember when I doubted day by day. And you know, there are people that live with that nagging doubt and what they do over and over again is to pump themselves up and, you know, and, and try to convince themselves that, you know, I really don't, I, I really don't need to get saved. I, I'm, I think I'm going to be all right. And they talk themselves into it. And then it's not a week or a few days, maybe, and they're right back to square one wondering about it, you see. Because there's no confidence there. There's no real trust there on their part. They believe in the sense that they acknowledge the facts, but they have not actually trusted the Lord. You see, some belief is not saving faith, and Jesus knows the difference. It's exactly what's going on here. Verse 24, Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all men. And in fact, He said in John 6 and verse number 64, it says that He knew which ones believed and which ones did not. John eight forty four, the verse I quoted this morning where he's dealing with those people, you know, and now remember, these are the same people that, that claimed to be believers earlier in that chapter, and he says to those same people, ye are of your father the devil. And I think it's about verse 59 where they took up stones to stone him. Same people, exactly. So there are many people that profess saving faith that do not possess it. And when we look back at what was going on in that day, we see that they were marveling at His miracles. But that does not mean they'd actually trusted Him as the Messiah, as their Master. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing for us to try to use Jesus as a fire escape to get out of hell. It's another thing for us to acknowledge that He is indeed the Lord of our life. Some years ago, uh, just about all of the preachers got involved in this debate about what is known as Lordship Salvation. And John MacArthur in some way found himself, you know, right at the very center of it. And, you know, some saying, you know, there's no such thing as lordship salvation. We don't have to, you know, uh, th their explanation was, we, you know, we, we don't have to follow him fully and what have you. We just need to be saved and so forth. And then gradually, hopefully, you know, and, and they're debating. This has been going on for years now, debating this issue when, when really these guys ought to, ought to know better than that, the fact of the matter is, of course none of us are perfect. None of us surrender ourselves to Him as fully as we ought to. No, I don't know of anybody that's saying that that's what's required of salvation. But there has to be an acknowledgement that He is the Lord of our life. He is the supreme authority in our life. And we are trusting Him and nothing else for the salvation of our soul. These people got, man, they jumped on the bandwagon. They got excited whenever they saw him doing all of these miracles. So the aim of John in all of this recording, these miracles, is what? To lead us to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what was the aim of Jesus? I mean, in working these miracles. Let me tell you, if he had... Jesus was not looking for people to follow Him, admire Him, 
honor Him and praise Him. That's not what he was looking for at all. He could have been king. That's what the Bible says. They would have took Him and they would have made Him king. They saw this demonstration of mighty power. Now remember, these people are living in bondage at least to some extent to the Roman government. They're not free to do as they please and they want to be liberated. And whenever they saw Jesus come along with that miracle working power, they thought, hey, we'll, he, he can be our king. That's okay. We'll take him. We'll make him king. But Jesus did not come to be a king. He came to be a lamb. The lamb of God. His goal was to make you a child of God. And the only way for that to happen was for Him to become a sacrifice. That, that was His purpose. You know, I can well imagine what would happen today if suddenly God endued certain preachers with miracle working ability where they could do the things that He did. Can't you imagine that? Man, I'm telling you, they'd be writing books about that. They'd be making movies about that. They'd be having these big crusades and charging people. Oh, wait a minute. They are doing that. Yeah, you see, they'd be making it all about them. And with Jesus, it's always been all about you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those miracles convinced others that He was indeed the Messiah. Notice, but in this case, they were not converted, you see. As I said this morning, Satan knows who he is, but he's still the devil. Jesus wants us to know the truth about our spiritual state. And here we see, and I want you to get this, I'm almost through, believe it or not. He rejects as well as receives. The same one who receives some rejects others. Now, if they came to Him on equal footing, if they came to Him both with the same kind of faith and the same kind of love and so forth, that, you know, that'd be different. But He knows what's in the heart of man, and so consequently, consequently He rejects some. They might not feel rejected. You know, they might go ahead and, you know, join the church and sing in the choir and teach Sunday school and all of that, but but still they're rejected of the Lord. And I want to just leave you with this thought. Have you ever thought about how awful that rejection is? You know, it's one thing when someone else rejects you. It's another thing when the Lord says rejected. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7, verse 21. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Oh, somebody says, no, wait a minute there. And that means that we're going to have to work and have to follow the law and da-da-da to do the will of the Father. Do you know what the will of the Father is? John 6, 40 says the will of the Father is that we believe on Him. 
you see. That's the will of the Father. And he says here, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. In other words, he that believes on me. Many, now get this, many, not just a few, but many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not... Let me stop there a minute. I want you to get this. Many, and they're saying, Lord, Lord. So these are not people that are a part of some religion that does not recognize Christ. This great multitude of people is made up of people that would, we, as we would say, profess to be Christians. Because you're not going to get a Buddhist to call him Lord, Lord. Or a Muslim, they're not going to call him Lord, Lord in the strictest sense. Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, notice, shall enter the kingdom of God. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That's that name above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've prophesied in your name, and in thy name we have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Wow, what a record. Think about it. Prophesying, casting out devils, done many wonderful works. If I wanted to, if I wanted to really irritate some folks, I could attach a denomination to that record. I don't know anybody that claims to be a Baptist that says, you know, that we're prophesying today, that we have the gift of prophecy. We don't believe that. There's only basically a, a a couple of groups that believe that. And casting out devils. You see what I'm saying? And these people are making those claims. Just like there are folks today making claims that they still are in possession of the spiritual gifts that once existed during apostolic times before the completion of the Bible. Now, all of those were valid gifts back then, but not now. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and prophecy shall cease. The Bible tells us that those things came to an end. But these people come to Him and they say, We've done all of that, and we've done it all in Your name. And then this, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You claim to know me, but I never knew you. You claim you've received me, but I've not received you. I never knew you. Notice, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Think about that phrase, depart from me. And this, look, this is an eternal departure. Depart from me. The most glorious thing about heaven is Jesus. The most horrible thing about hell is not the fire, not the brimstone, not the company. The worst thing about hell is that, that you're going to be separated from God. And he says to these people that made these claims, 
Depart from me, for I never knew you. You didn't say, I used to know you, and you backslid, and then I, then I forgot, you know. They, he said, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. And that's why I said this morning that, that I believe with all of my heart that in our churches across the land, we have a crisis today, and it's a crisis that seems to me like that, that well, it seems to me like most people don't want to deal with it. We, we'd, you know, we'd rather entertain people and so forth than we would to, to just keep hammering away at the gospel of Christ. That's why I said we need more preaching of the gospel and not less of it. And certainly anybody that's truly been born again, what better news could you hear than to hear about the gospel? I'd given a lot of thought about preaching a message sometime today about a message concerning the blood of Christ, and I'll get to that in a few weeks maybe, but but I tell you, whenever we stop preaching about the blood and about the cross and so forth, and we're, it's all downhill. Because regardless of what else we do, we're never we're never going to you know prosper as God wants us to prosper as a church, unless souls are being saved, and they're not going to be saved without the preaching of the gospel. And think about how selfish it would be for those of us that are saved. For let's let's suppose that ninety five percent of us are saved. Let let's do that. I don't know what we had this morning. We've been having about 2.30, 2.40, something like that on Sunday morning. And so based on that, we're talking about what, uh, 13, 14 people here being unsaved? I love preaching about heaven, but I'll tell you what, if I was sitting in the crowd and somebody else was up here preaching knowing that there's 13 or 14 unsaved people out there, I'll go home and read my Bible about heaven and get excited. I want—I don't want him to be preaching just to make me excited. I want him to be hammering away at them that they might be saved. To think about even ten people walking out of this building without a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ ought to tear our heart out. To think about even one person leaving here, and especially when that one person might be Someone that's a part of your family or one of your dear friends. And they might have even made a profession of faith. I, 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 I don't know. But Jesus knows. And I, I want you to re- really pray for me and Brother Kenneth both and that, that God will direct us in absolutely every... I, look, I know I don't, have, I don't have near as much time left as what, I, as what I've had. I... You know, I'm on the backside and going downhill, and so I'm not. I'm not going to be here for another 52 years. That's not not going to happen. I understand that. I don't. I don't want to waste any sermon. I don't want to waste any service. I want every one of them to count in some way. And and God help me to never be guilty of just getting up and preaching something. I want to preach whatever something it is that he he wants me to preach and so i've so desperately wanted to make this a part of the message this morning 
And I thought to myself, they're going to feel like they haven't even heard a sermon tonight. That's all right. I don't care how you feel. That doesn't make any difference. This is stuff we need to think about. This is stuff we need to know. And there just might be somebody else here tonight that's in need of salvation. And maybe this will make them examine their heart and think about their life and consider the fact that only Christ is ever going to to meet that longing that's in your soul. Don't go away without Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. Tim, come on, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. Lisa, if you would, please. And let's all stand together and might be, I don't know, might be you went home this morning and you've been thinking about uh, Julie's experience and Maybe you got home and thought about, you know, uh, I'm so glad that she got saved and, and this, this is the very thing maybe I've been wrestling with. And tonight you need to do something about it. Don't keep putting it off, whatever you do. What page are we going to sing? 210. 210. All right. Let's lift our voice together in song. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus made it all, all to him I owe, sin up right there but let me tell you if if you're here and you're bothered about the issue of your salvation please please let us know because uh, we we don't want to see you go on living uh, with with that kind of torment in your soul of not knowing that you're truly born again i've been asked to make an announcement and uh, we have all been invited invited to a party it so happens that this is Rick Morse's birthday, and we're going to sing, yeah. We're going, to, we're going to sing happy birthday, and right after that have prayer and thank the Lord for the food, and then we're going to be dismissed, and, and please let, let him and his family get over there first. Don't push him out of the way or anything like that. It's his birthday, amen. And if you're here, yes. Terry Farr and Ari's birthday is the same. It's actually Tuesday. Oh, really? She's Terry Farr. All right. We'll, 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 get, we'll get both of you. All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Happy birthday. Ever take that lightly. Think about it. The gift of life. Wow, that's that's a precious gift that God has uh, has given to us, and we surely don't want to. We don't want to waste it, do we?
Well, we're going to... Uh, any last word, anything I'm missing? Yeah. All right. The same type of message you preached today, tonight, was what finally convinced me of my lost condition. I made a false profession, thought I was saved, uh, and uh pastor just... His comment was, and I've said it before, was you don't have to remember the day, the week, the month, or even the year you got saved, but you better remember a time when yes. your life took on a change. Yes. And that's when Satan lost his argument with me. Amen. I knew I was lost. Amen. Awesome. Good testimony. That's, amen. And so, I, I, you know, I know a lot of times people wrestle with this, with this issue for a long, long time. And let me encourage you, settle it as quick as you can. Brother Kenneth? Uh, I just want to say I'm so thankful for how the Lord continues to bless our church. And, and I've talked to so many of you, and I don't know if, if he knows, but, but the members of this church appreciate you so much. And I'm very thankful to be under the example of someone that preaches what God lays on their heart. And uh, I, I just can't express my thankfulness enough for you. Amen. Amen. Thank, you. Thank you. I love you too. Uh, I'll tell you, well, the, the whole, the whole, y'all keep me going. And uh, of course, Bev's at the top of the list and, and Brother Kenneth and Brother Ron and not just them, however, by the way. I can go ahead and name several of you that uh, prolonged my ministry, I'll put it that way. And, and I, I, I thank God that uh, it's just so amazing the way God's worked it out. But that's another subject. It's Okay, all minds clear. Okay, Brother Wesley, would you lead us in prayer? And